You're listening to a podcast from 702. The Literature Corner. And I have the absolute pleasure of hanging out this next half an hour with three of my favorite South African writers. Uh, Sapiwa Mahala, let's see whether we can get the lines nice and clear. Uh, Mandla Langa, as well as Marianne Tam. Sapiwa, good morning to you and thanks so much for coming on. Good morning, Eusebio. Great to be doing this Trisha Corner from my corner here at home. Oh. <laughs> it's great having you on. And then Marianne Tam, no rest for the wicked, who's been writing brilliantly and beautifully. I still want to share some of her latest work on my social media pages. Marianne, good morning and thanks for agreeing to come on the segment this morning. Morning, Yubi. Thank you for asking me. And then last, but by no means uh, least, one of our country's uh, best writers and way too humble about his excellence. Uh, but fortunately, he struggles to say no to me is Mandla Langa. Mandla, <laughs> good morning and thanks so much for coming on. Good morning, you say yes. And to your listeners, thank you. And to the fellow writers there. Yeah, we, yes. li- we literally really? four different places, but we all know each other. So let's just shoot the breeze for the next 30 minutes and... Uh, don't wait for me to ask questions and let's have a conversation. The broad theme, if you are listening to me chatting to Sapir, Mandla and Marion, is that I've been wondering how artists and writers in particular are experiencing and processing in language the pandemic that we are living through. We often look to artists to capture the moment and it can be enormously difficult to do so. And of course, excellent artists manage to do so quite well. Uh, journalists are included under that banner, as are novelists, as are short story writers, as are essayists. And it can be really difficult to to grapple with the existential and all the other aspects. Your first attempt to do so, Marion, is when you put up a Facebook post that was quite pithy, that day one feels like a James could see a novel. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it, with short sentences and little full stops uh, um, and a sense of everything having slowed down and been disrupted, a tear in the curtain of normal life. And here we find ourselves in some new milieu, uh, silent and quiet and threatening. So that's how it started. <laughs> and there is something quite dystopian about the moment, right? And Kutsia is quite bleak. I think that was quite an, quite an apt choice and then of course your excellent facebook friends were having a field day trying to think which could see a book or character or piece of writing is particularly apt and seeing as you started that conversation on your wall which one would it have been for you well, I'm not a, you know, I'm, I select, I could see a bits that I've read. I'm not one of those being a, a late reader in life. That's the other thing. Uh, I only started reading when I was about 21. Before that, I was a delinquent. Uh, so, uh, there's, there's one of these lovely collections called Summertime, I think it's called. Um, mm. you know, Boyhood also, uh, Waiting for the Barbarians always, yeah. um, Age of Iron. I mean, almost all of them for me, even Disgrace. Um, with that sort of sense of of yeah. existential bleakness, uh, they all are contained with that. I've got a lovely book here at the moment. My friend uh, from Belgium gave me. The book might be contaminated with Corona, but it's worth reading it. It's uh, <laughs> it's the childhood photographs of James Kutsia that he took. Um, he was an amateur photographer, uh. and he had 
cameras. And so it's an extraordinary book to dip into as well. Um, he took beautiful photographs of his mother, their studies of his mother and of himself and of his life. So I think that also is what prompted for me mm. uh, the Kutsia reference to start with. Mandela, you know, it's... <laughs> One almost feels the pressure, right? There you are, a great South African writer of our time. There's so much pressure for you to say or write something really deep. And in the meantime, in the first instance, you're just a human being. You've got your own sense of vulnerabilities. How are you processing all of this as Mandla, but then also as as a writer? And whatever you say, we're expecting you to say something very profound. <laughs> you know, yesterday uh, in the afternoon, my daughter... A 12-year-old daughter, Asante, was riding her bike around the pool, and she fell into the pool. And uh, I, we rushed to pick her out, and uh, I realized that I can't swim, and she can. So she was able to pull herself out of the water mm. and went back again to get the bike out. Jeez. And I realized that in this life, in this life of today, of uh, this coronavirus, of everything that's menacing us, we are likely to be saved by young people, you know. Uh, mm. And so that started off a train of thinking for me. And I went back to a poem by uh, Isabella Matambanazo, mm. who is a... a uh, Zimbabwean feminist, self-described. And I found that uh, in going back to poetry, this is where I could be steady. This is where I could start thinking. This is where I could start writing. And I realized that uh, all the things that I've written in the past have started from or have been inspired by poetry. Can I read something from that? Please, yeah. She says, a poem called Invocation. We call on memories buried inside skeletons of the first people to walk the skin of the earth, who nest and nest and nested in the cradle and spread civilizations across the planet like sea. She goes on to say, tell us what we have forgotten. We are not afraid of bones. Hmm. Tell us what we have lost. We are not afraid of remembering. Tell us what has now been erased. We are not afraid of time. Tell us who we were once. We are not afraid of ourselves. And I find that uh, it is this South African fear of ourselves that has led us into this, uh, I would call it miasma of forgetting or what uh, Spiro Agnew calls the brings about these nurturing nabobs of negativity, mm. you know. Uh, we, I, writing about a disaster, writing about what is happening at the moment, for most writers, we are just using our mind as a vault, as a, dia- as a, yeah. a repository. We will then regurgitate our impressions much, much later. Yes. But right now, it's just absorbing all this. 
That's right. That's yeah. yeah, I totally, totally agree. So, Pio, that's the difficulty, right? There is something to be said for, and certainly those of us who are columnists have got deadlines, um, like myself and Marian. We are expected by our editors to write into the moment, quote, unquote, uh, whereas ideally, as Mandela says, you want to be able to ruminate, to sit through, to fully absorb the phenomenology of angst and then later give expression to it if you can. But at the same time, we are restless. We want to have it all. We want to give the hot takes as scribes and also come back later with a more beautifully crafted poem or, or essay. How are you navigating this? Well, I think for me, um, this provides me an opportunity to observe human behavior. Um, learning more about myself in the first place. I've, I mean, just like Amanda yesterday, um, my daughter had to come and remind me that um, at some point one had to take a shower during the day because <laughs> I had locked myself up ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I began to I think about... The, <laughs> <laughs> I began to think about the reversal of roles in this period. That um, whereas... Back home in Makanda, they've been reminding me or asking me about coming home. Mm. Now they're not so keen to have me there because I'll be bringing coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a, so, it's a fascinating double reversal. Your story about your, your child dovetails Mandla's one, so there's an intergenerational reversal. And then the other thing is in the rurals, they're usually very keen for us to go and visit from Joburg or from Gauteng or Centurion. Suddenly, you are a vector of virus. I have a suspicion that you'll have to apply for visa to go back home now. <laughs> Marian, Marian yeah. I want to bring you back in here. The poem that Mandla reads is so interesting to me. I'm a different kind of person, I must say. I really sometimes, almost deliberately, I'm more of a Sylvia Plath bent than I am, <laughs> than I am an optimist. That poem reminds yes. us of our resilience, whereas I am really, really enjoying at the moment meditating on our inherent vulnerability as as a species. How about you? Is a little bit of pot getting you through the moment? Um, some what? good Bob Dylan? Or are you also, like me, uh, writing bleakly? Well, for me, I veer between the two, always have done in a way. I'm more of a journalist than a creative writer. And when I find myself in a creative writing space, it's there's a difference between the journalism offers me a sense of agency. Yes. But my private writing space offers me a sense where I can use my imagination. Mm. Um, and so I've, I've split the two up and there are, there are moments of, of, um, seeing into the bleakness of it, but I'm a, I'm a pessimistic optimist. So, mm. um, I'm shocked at myself at how quickly I, <laughs> I try and find. And it's quite interesting that poem because I've been thinking about, um, Credo Mutwa's death and I've been reading some of Eskim Patlele's work as well, just because I'm grazing in my library. And these are all times to go back to something about who we are and what we are. And my mind is there when I'm not uh, writing about the judiciary in the Western Cape, which mm. is highly entertaining on another level. So, Pio, mm. you are, I don't know if you're the youngest year or me, or I, I, I'm not sure, actually. How old are you, by the way? <laughs> well, I'm older than you. That's all I know. Because <laughs> 
when I was at, at, at Forte at University, you were still running around in shorts in Makanda. <laughs> so here's the question that I wanted to put to you. Are you at all thinking at this moment about your own mortality or is that something that hasn't flashed by you? Because one of the other unspoken things that we are all going through and you can feel it surfacing in other kinds of way um, is that, of course, this virus is literally deadly. You do not know how your body will respond. And I wonder whether any of those thoughts have flashed by you. Yeah, and, and the other reality is we don't know how long it will be around for. Um, who has took me to uh, my case of uh, love in a time of cholera. Mm. So, um, which really explores something similar, uh, but, the, the, um, you know, it's also about the endurance of, of, of love. So, it, it, it's a test of time, really, um, you know, in both in terms of imagination and, and human behavior. Um, so, one is looking at it in, in two different ways, actually. One, reflecting, re- reflecting the period, um, the experience of, of, of going through this, and also being preemptive, in other words, imagining the period um, after corona. Um, <laughs> if things will be the same again, um, will we'll handshakes uh, be, be a, a norm in, in the future? <laughs> so that, that's what is going through my mind at the moment. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about the ordinary. And as I looked at my bookshelf this morning, Mandela, I was trying to decide, should I bring something with to read during this segment. And I do have something here if we have time. And if Mm -hmm. I do so, what do I take? And there's one book that I haven't yet properly got into that's part of my next big writing project that's a decade overdue. And the title of that book, it's an academic book, but it undergirds uh, something that I'm working on. It's called The Phenomenology of Illness. And then I thought, no, man, A, that's dreary, and B, it's too literal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or do I do I just take a Baldwin because Mandla and I are obsessed with James Baldwin, and 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 the reason why that was tempting and in the end I chose neither is I thought to myself, one of the consequences of how ubiquitous the pandemic is in the world is we haven't spoken about bloody anything else, the orderliness mm. of a sound outside, friendship for example. Having lots of sex or not having sex at all, how or how interesting it is to not brush your teeth for two days or three days, and and I don't know if I'm the only one, Mandela, but but it but it's really interesting to me how if you are all consumed by one topic, then you can stop observing the banality of everyday life. Absolutely, you know, you know. This reminds me when uh, Hugh Masegela and Jonas Kwangwa were in the U.S. and uh, at the time of the death of the assassination of Kennedy, the networks, all the television stations were just full of the funeral Mm. until one South African came to them and said to them, James, turn on to so-and-so-and-so-and-so. Does near funeral die? You know, <laughs> we are going to be finding ourselves in a situation where we will be looking for circumstances where there won't be any discussions about the coronavirus. And uh, as the people have said, we need maybe to start thinking about 
what the post-coronavirus period will be, what it will mean for us. The very fact that right now everybody is talking about how nature is exacting its revenge on us, Mm. how it's really, really coming forth, and the the rivers are flowing, everything is growing, etc., etc. But let's turn that upside down and say what is happening with ourselves. Right now I'm sitting in the study. I haven't shaved for three days and <laughs> I look like some grandfather's bristle brush. <laughs> you know, and so certain things that we might have forgotten, certain instincts that are in us are now being reawakened. For instance, how to relax, how to breathe. We have not been breathing. We've been on this on this treadmill, you know, for a very, very long time. Mm. So in a sense, uh, we we do need to find those moments of reflection. But I need also to go back to that conversation that you had earlier with, uh, with the women regarding the issues of abuse of uh, in confinement, because mm. that's what it is. Uh, these are some of the things that We've got to be thinking about and saying to ourselves, what is it that we collectively, even as a community of writers, Mm. can start addressing, can start relating to, even though it it might be for some none of our business, but it's something that's real. One of the most fascinating things is the relationship human beings have with time. You don't think about time as a youngster. You think about it when you encounter your first experience of your own mortality, if you get Mm -hmm. a dreaded disease, for example. And what's quite interesting is that when you have a pandemic like this, suddenly time becomes really, really, really precious. And you're aware Mm -hmm. of it because you do not know when you're going to expire and how much time we we have left. Uh, Marian, starting with you, I think one of the, Few, not few, there are many. One of the beautiful gifts of of growing older is that you do start appreciating time. You start appreciating memory as well. And very often in one's teenage years, your 20s, even in your 30s, you don't appreciate it as much. I find that my nostalgic trips become sweeter the older I become because I, I now know, not in a macabre way, you've got one toe in the grave how is your relationship with time going, particularly when a pandemic is a rude reminder that um, time is finite? Uh, I think for uh, working as a journalist in real time, um, for years, also I dealt with my father dying as well. And I think as I've got older and I have children as well, so I've, I've, I've been able to watch one's own diminishing space in the world and what that means. So I, I mean, I think it's also partly because my father was Prussian and he was dying from the age of 40, you know, so I've been <laughs> preoccupied with the meaning of death and being here. And I think what it's led to is for me an extraordinary understanding of how beautiful life can be yes. and what a gift it is. I, I have a poem here. I want to read to you just the last verse of it. Mary Oliver. Yes. Um, because this is my feeling about, um, my time here. And it's just the last little, and I have to now find my glasses. Speaking of age. Um, <laughs> but you see the stakes of my Facebook thing. It's because I haven't got them on. You're right. 
when it's over, I want to say all my life, I was a bride married to amazement. I was a bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I've made my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened and full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. And that's mm. for me very, very clear in terms of just people I've met as a journalist who have lost so much in their lives, loved ones, uh, <laughs> through violence and murder. Um, you know, interacting with people on that level for most of my life um, has yes. made me realize how precious life is, how unbelievably precious life is. Absolutely. We've got, speaking of time, two minutes left. I was going to abuse you and keep you on. But this you are all so brilliant. I want to quit while we're ahead because it's been so <laughs> preciously, preciously excellent. And we'll contain it as a, as, a, as, a, as a half an hour conversation, although every single listener is hanging on to your every words. I want to start with you on this one, Marianne, because uh, you in particular love humor and you are bloody funny. And... One of the things that a pandemic does is that it can make us all so darn earnest. How important is it when we go back to what I was saying about the everyday and the ordinary things that make us all too human to not, to not lose our humanity in this moment, to allow ourselves to laugh. Yesterday, for example, my team and I had a big debate whether or not we should pull on our listeners an April fool's April Fool's prank. We chose not to in the end. I think it was ethically probably the right call to make. But it's really interesting to me how even my friends who are stand-up comics, like Conrad Koch, are grappling with this conversation for themselves at the moment. Do we even have permission to to laugh, Marion? Of course we do. I think we, we uh, South Africans are very good at it. And if you if you look at the memes that have arrived, we know how grave this is. We know I mean, we've, we've had the other pandemics. Absolutely. So I think, you know, there are other places people can make humor. I mean, uh, and the Internet is providing us with great sources of humor. All the master classes people are giving uh, <laughs> the poor pets at home are being dressed up yes. um, and, taught, and taught languages. So I think the next thing is all the animals that are trapped in homes must escape <laughs> the human race in some way. But uh, no, I think there's room for humor and it's, it's vital. It's absolutely vital. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, Piro, uh, uh, your final reflection on that or anything else? Yeah, I think I must say in my adult life, it's the first time that I'm actually in charge of my schedule. Uh, but despite that, I only see my daughter once who are in the same house, um, who are both reading and writing. Mm. Um, I see her once in the morning and also in the evening. Hmm. And lastly, I think we have to think about remote working. Um, uh, this period has told us that, you know, uh, UCBS can broadcast from home. Mm. Um, we've done festivals virtually. Um, maybe, you know, think more about homeschooling at times. So, yeah, this is an interesting time that that, that could change the course of things going forward. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mandla? The thing that's caused me to chuckle has been how things have been turned around. Mm. In the past, you'd find people on Facebook posting, saying, posting themselves safe, uh, from some calamity here happening here and there. Mm. No longer is that happening. No, do you find people praising exotic locations? Everyone is being brought back to, as it were, to their home soil. I think mm. humor, mm. humor, humor, humor is important. 
And I, I wish we still had that old Reader's Digest page of laughter is the best medicine. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Mandla, Zapio, and Marion, you are three of my favorite South African writers. Excellent. What a beautiful, beautiful session this was. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks.